Welcome to the Managing Happiness Podcast, helping you to find your true purpose, bring out your A-game, and cultivate the right habits. We're interviewing experts, authors, and thought leaders who are here to share their tried and tested methods that will help you to thrive in life. Here's your host. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Happiness Podcast. Today, I have Dr. Finn on the podcast. He's the best-selling author of the book, The Habit Mechanic, which took him over 20 years to write, and we are very much aligned. My personal mission is to help people to be on their, their A-game in all areas of their life and business. He's also the founder of Tougher Minds, and they've trained and coached over 10,000 people to be on their personal A-game. So, John, I'm very excited to have you and to nerd out with you on habits. Likewise, David. Well, thank you for having me. So, could you give me a little more background on how you apply or how you help people to be on their A-game, how you help people to stick with the habits and fill in all the things that I did not mention in, in the intro on what you guys are doing? Yeah, so this is my life's work. I haven't done anything else. I went to university to study sports science and I really got into the psychology side. I was pretty good at playing rugby and I got a chance to play quite high level rugby at university. And there was a particular game, which was the warm-up game for a, an international match. And I was under a very high ball. I was playing fullback on a wet, cold, windy day in the north of England. And all I could think about was, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't drop the ball, don't mess it up. And I didn't even drop the ball. I just completely missed the ball. The opposition scored a try. I got substituted. I didn't get selected for the next match. And at the time I was studying sports psychology and it was a eureka moment in the sense of I'm supposed to be studying this stuff, you know, I need to pay more attention. And then I got quite a bad injury. Um, I ruptured one of my quad muscles. So I couldn't really play a high level rugby anymore. So I decided to go down the path of helping people. So after my undergraduate and master's and I went into working in elite sport and eventually I, I did a PhD and founded Tougher Minds. What I've learned over that time is that I had this inkling right from the start. The traditional approaches that we were using to help people to be at their best weren't very effective. They were good at helping people to know what they should do. Like, don't tell yourself not to drop the ball when you're under pressure or don't beat yourself up or, you know, walk 10,000 steps a day or eat five portions of fruit and veg a day. But they weren't actually very good at getting people to do what was more helpful for them. And I, I was studying my degrees at quite an exciting time because it was the first time we'd had the technology at scale to look inside people's brains in real time. That was functional MRI scanners. So before that, we were hypothesizing about human behavior without actually being able to look inside the brain and what was actually happening, you know, and I think we're of a similar age, David. When we were at school, even if you spoke to the top neuroscientists on the planet, they were very compelled that when you stopped growing, your brain stopped changing in any substantial way. And this technology came along that showed us actually our brain is changing all the time. I went on on my journey and I had lots of interesting insights in elite sport and in business and education. And I was all the time trying to take this cutting edge science from the neuroscience, from the behavioral science and apply it in a way that actually helped people to do better. And I think one of the, the big surprising truths 
even now today is that most of what we're doing most of the time is habit. It's semi-automatic or automatic behavior. And I often talk about habits and you know, even with very senior HR people, and they say, yeah, habits are great. But we focus on behavior. No, behavior is habit. It's, and it's most of it is automatic. And you know what you want your people to do, but getting them to do it is a different story. And when we work with C-suite, that's the same message that always comes back. We know what we want our people to do. But we can't. How do we get them to do it? <laughs> habits are absolutely the foundation of any culture, of anything that we do, how we think, what, what we do, that's what behavior means. What 100%, I, I believe that habits determine really everything in our life. If we are rich or poor, fat or fit, happy or unhappy, it all boils down to which habits we cultivate. Right? So I'm, I'm, and, I, and I think what's also very insightful over the last 20 years is we see someone's like, someone like Anders Ericsson's work that, that started sh to show the importance of practice in learning to get good at things and that sure we have genetic makeup, but that doesn't predetermine who we are. We're actually much more nurture plus, plus nurture. And we've increasingly understood the importance of practice. You know, if we just take a simple example, if David Beckham never practiced playing football, then he wouldn't be a professional footballer. So we continually underestimate how powerful practice can be in helping us to get better. And it's not about saying that anyone can be David Beckham or Usain Bolt or Mary Jackson or Sarah Blakely. It's just saying that wherever you are right now, with how you think and what you do with the right type of practice, you can actually start to change behavior. And what I've learned is that if you actually want to consistently feel better and do better in what is an increasingly challenging world, is that traditional approaches don't cut it and they're increasingly less effective. And that's why we created my book, The Habit Mechanic, which literally took over 20 years to write. Because I think that we have to adopt this new mindset of habit mechanics that we are driven by this automatic behavior, but we can intervene and we can fine tune it if we know some essential things about how habits work and how to start building new, more helpful habits. And that's what the Habit Mechanic book is. It's an absolute manual for life. It's a guide that allows you to do that using tried and tested things that we've been building and refining over the last 20 years. Whether you're a CEO of a big business, you want to create a great culture, whether you're the manager of a Premier League football team, whether you're an elite athlete, whether you're a, you just want to be at your best, whether you're a, a school child, this program is tried and tested across all those domains. So it's really exciting work. I think also how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if, you know, kind of you want to have self mastery so you can, you know, if, if your personal life is super organized, then you'll, it's going to be easy to transition this over into your business life, you know? So the habits that you create in your personal life or how you show up there also rubs off on your business and vice versa. Yeah, I think more so than ever, especially as we've made the transition to the hybrid workplace you know, where people are literally living in the same place, they're working and sleep, diet, exercise are the foundations of being happy, of being at our best. Yeah, they've been hugely disrupted because people during the pandemic, for example, got out of the habit of literally leaving the house. And we are designed as homo sapiens to, to walk about 12 miles a day. And that helps our brain to work properly. So these absolutely they're interconnected. I'm, I'm curious, 
in managing happiness, we, we teach people to have, you know, of course, track your habits and figure out which habits work for you. And we also ask them to figure out the key three habits that make, make sure they're on the A game. And for me, it's sweat every day, plan my day and do the most important task first and just rock out this, this task. If I do these three things, all the other ones are kind of just icing on the cake. They're also important, but if I at least stick to these three, which I can also do when I'm traveling, you know, that doesn't matter. I'm happy and thriving. So I'm curious, what would you say are the key habits that you want to implement in your life if you want to be in your A-game, if you want to be happy, if you want to be thriving? Well, we think about these as super habits. So we have destructive habits and super habits. But I think if we take a step back and build into what is happiness, what do you need to get right in order to be happy? The way that I understand this is there are, there are three core ingredients. One is you've got to get your brain working properly. So that means you've got to get good sleep, good diet, good exercise, and also have really good positive personal relationships. That's going to help your brain work really well. The next ingredient is you've got to have in scientific language, some spend some time doing hedonic things, so getting pleasure, giving into short-term gratification. But the third ingredient, which is harder than ever to attain is eudaimonia. That is working towards doing and achieving meaningful goals. Now we call this habit mechanic development. So we've got to balance those three things out, but looking after our brain properly feels more challenging than ever before. And also persisting and delaying short-term gratification so we can actually achieve meaningful goals feels more difficult than ever before. So they're the broad outcomes that I'm working towards. And that's what I would encourage other people to work towards as well. And then what I'm interested in doing is helping people to analyze their habits so they can understand which habits are helping them achieve those outcomes and which habits are getting in the way of them achieving those outcomes. And, you know, we know that for most people, they don't have optimal sleep, diet and exercise. So that's always something people are working on. That connects to one of your habits, David, about sweating, I think you said. What we also find is that it's almost a jigsaw puzzle include sleep, diet, and exercise, but habits around how you motivate yourself. So you talked about planning, habits around managing stress, habits around building your confidence, habits around being productive and focused, habits around performing under pressure. And if you're a leader, habits around making it easier for other people to build great habits. So what, what I've been doing over the years is working out where my super habits are across all those different areas. And I think broadly speaking, and this speaks to some of your habits, if we get better at doing what we call intelligent self-watching and intelligent planning, if we've got the right knowledge and skills, we're going to be able to activate any helpful habit that makes it easier for us to be happy. So we teach people how to use what we call habit mechanic tools and chief habit mechanic tools. And they're all essentially sophisticated self-watching, intelligent self-watching and intelligent planning tools. So what I thought, what I found my super habits are connected back to a lot of them are about stepping back and deliberately reflecting and planning. And one of my key super habits every day is something we call the daily T plan. This is in the first the chapter of the book. So T stands for tiny empowering action. So this is the way we've created to make being at your best super easy, just in two minutes a day. 
So the first thing you do is you step back and you rate how well you did your best to be your best and achieve your goals yesterday or so far today out of 10. 10 would mean you were perfect. One would mean you failed. You're probably somewhere in between. So by doing that, you're doing intelligent self-watching. You're switching on your prefrontal cortex. You're moving out of your habit brain. Step two is then you pick a tiny empowering action. Could be something like only check the news once today or go for a five minute walk at lunchtime or write a positive reflection at the end of the day or eat one piece of fruit for breakfast. And then three is you say, why? Why is doing that going to be helpful? So it might be, if I only check the news once today, I'll be less distracted. If I go for a five minute walk at lunchtime, I'll have a more productive afternoon. If I write a positive reflection at the end of the day, I'll be able to draw a line in the sand, de-stress, activate my evening routines and sleep better, get better prepared for tomorrow. So these super habits, and speaking to your point, they're actually triggering lots of other unhelpful behavior, but they typically go back to planning and reflection in an intelligent mm. way. So a long one thing that we have questions, sorry, David, but no, no, no that's amazing. That, that, that's super great. I had a lot of takeaways actually that uh, I want to implement for myself. One thing that we're doing in managing happiness, we have an error log. So whenever something's talking about reflection or reflecting, whenever something does not work, then we, you know, kind of note down what did not work and then brainstorm what can we do what can we change to make sure this never happens again i have this for my businesses and all of my businesses we also have an error log whenever something customer complaint outage whatever happened we sit down we list them in in, in the error log and then in the, with the management team we talk about what can we do to make sure this never happens again kind of like which sop can we fix which standard operating procedure or yeah what, what can we change that this doesn't occur again and this has been very helpful for me to reflect and find ways to make sure these things that I, the undesired outcomes that I had will not, not occur again. Chris, for your super habits, what are your super habits that you really focus on? Make sure you get in every day. So I've got a list of about 20 daily things. I'd say several weekly things and several monthly things. That's the way that I break it down. But they're not all super habits. They're just things I know I need to do. So if I get this right, those other 20 things today get activated or they're more likely to get activated. So the first thing I do every working day is I go for a run. That's how I start my day. Then I plan the day using a tool called the willpower story. It's in the book. And then at the end of the day, I write a written reflection. So depending on on how I'm feeling will depend on which tool I use. I might have a wabber, which is a written eight brain argument or a longer form expressive, uh, written reflection. So I, I'd say they're the three uh, central things that I do and I can explain how they activate or I can explain the other positive behaviors they activate when I do those things. But I've worked up to doing that over a very long period of time through trial and error. And this is the thing that I think people need to embrace is that this is like doing a personal research experiment on yourself and it's just going through cycles of testing things out and seeing what works best for you because you know nothing in our programs is prescriptive it's all here are the insights but you'll only learn what works best for you if you try things out and that's the whole philosophy of becoming a habit mechanic is that you're in that continual cycle of trying and testing we're trying and tested using insights from really good uh, science I love it. It makes so much sense in terms of, you know, I, I read a lot of books and I, I take things out. I never like 
believe in one book like it's the Bible and just like follow it blindly. I always see like, okay, he does this thingy, let's apply it, let's let's do it myself for a while and see what the outcome is. For example, I used to meditate for a very long time until I realized that um, you know, meditation is to calm your mind and, you know, kind of be present in the now. And I realized I don't have to do this because I have this condition called aphantasia and uh, my mind is always calm in the first place. You know, it's a side note for people who don't know what it is. It's like I cannot create images in my mind and I also cannot recreate sounds, tastes, smells, or emotions. Everything in my mind is like very, I guess, logic and quote-unquote text-based. So I used to meditate every day and I did some upa yoga routine combined with the meditation and I realized that it was just the physical aspect that helped me to feel good and the meditation did, did nothing for me. So I totally agree. It's like, it can't be prescriptive. Everybody's different. Everybody's situation is different, you know, but I was still curious to hear what the euros are so I can, you know, see well, what can I try out, test out and maybe keep. My super habits. Mm -hmm. So going for a run in the morning, yeah. writing the plan for the day and writing a reflection at the end of the day. So they're the three cons. And, and what, what I'd say about the habit mechanic is that, yeah, all those other books I've read, they're all piecemeal, a bit here, a bit here. They're not from a sophisticated framework. The habit mechanic is, and you can put anything else that you've learned into that framework because it's based on, on science of why you do what you do. And I was reading a, an article, a UK broadsheet newspaper, very well established at the weekend, and it was critiquing nudge theory, a very well established a science journalist. But they were talking or he was talking about nudge theory as, as, as if it is behavioral science. Nudge theory is one tiny element of behavioral science. It doesn't explain everything about why people do what they do. And these, this is an expert talk, or a supposed expert talking about this. So it's so confusing if you want to be your best, because there's so many of these distilled ideas out there of people that are, that are not experts in the field. You know, they've, they've researched something for three years, which is great and fantastic and all credit to that person, but that doesn't make you an expert in an area. So what we've got is a very confusing landscape for people where there are all these bits of different ideas. And as you're saying, David, you can definitely try some things out and it doesn't work for you. And then you give up and you fail and you beat yourself up and you think that you'll never be able to do it. And that's why it's so important to understand the science of what humans are designed to do and what actually influences why we do what we do. So that's neuroscience is the science of what we're designed to do. And the behavioral science is what influences us to do what we actually do. And we can use that science ourselves to be happier, to be on our air game, you know, whatever we want to be. But I think it requires a different mindset, which is the habit mechanic mindset. So if you distill down, even though you said a lot of stuff is distilled down and not super accurate and not, not applicable, but if you distill down what you've written in your book or what, what you teach as the habit mechanic, what would be the biggest takeaway from somebody who's listening to this podcast, what they ideally implement in their mind to have the, the biggest positive impact or takeaway? Read the book. <laughs> the biggest positive impact. But, and this is the thing, isn't it? We're looking for quick tips and tricks. And if I could just do that one thing, it'll change my life. No, it won't. Because what you are doing right now, as you listen to this podcast, is you are practicing things. You are practicing a narrative about yourself. You might be practicing something physically. We are practicing things all the time. And I think one of the big insights that we teach 
the surprising truth is you are getting better at the things that you don't want to get better at. When you worry, you develop more wires in your brain for worrying. When you beat yourself up, you develop more wires in your brain for beating yourself up. So the realization that we are actually on autopilot, the vast, vast majority of the time is a huge insight for most people because we are not designed to think of ourselves in that way. We are designed to think about the external world, not what is going on inside our own brains. And when we just start to get a little bit of insight, just by turning on our prefrontal cortex a little bit more and doing a, a little bit more intelligent self-watching, then we can start to make some big improvements very quickly if we start to consistently do things a little bit differently. And then building on this idea that we're going to get good at what we practice, we've got to recognize what are the things that influence and make it easier for us to practice the things that we'd like to practice. And again, we hear a lot about behavioral science. And if we look at the academic field of behavioral science, what we see is experts, world leading experts scattered throughout the world, who've all grabbed their own little corner of behavioral science, because that's what academia is incentivized to do. And they defend their theory and said, this is the most important part of it. This is the most important part of it. And the academics are not incentivized to work together and connect all their theories together to make a big theory, if you like. So when you look at the landscape, it's very complex and that's why it's taken 20 plus years to unravel this. So what we teach in, in our approach is how to use behavioral science, all the different components of it to actually help you to do better every day. And we distill that down into habit building plans. But if we think of behavior on a continuum, one end of the continuum is simple behaviors. That thing, that's things like eating more donuts, beating yourself up more, watching more Netflix. You don't have to worry about behavioral science if you want to get better at those things because it's already on your side. Okay. The other end of the continuum is complex behavior. Complex behaviors are the types of things that we'd all love to get better at instantly because we know if we get better at them, they'll make our lives easier. Starting with better sleep, better diet, better exercise, less beating ourselves up, being more focused and more productive, managing our confidence really well. So all these things that we'd like to get better at managing stress, they're all complex behaviors. A complex behavior that many people have, have learned to do is a good example to show you how behavioral science impacts how we get good at things. So driving is a good example. Driving is a complex behavior. It isn't one habit, it's many, many different habits. Like if you want to get better at managing stress, you actually need to build lots of different habits. So if you've learned to drive, we can look at that through a behavioral science lens. And we've got our nine action factor model, which is central to the book, the habit mechanic approach, not only learning how to be at your best, but actually for you, David, learning how to use behavioral science to create and supercharge your cultures of your different businesses because they're ultimately being driven by habits. So if we think of driving, when you learn to drive, the first behavioral science factor we need to understand is what we call the habit mechanic mindset. If when you started to learn to drive, you didn't believe you could learn to drive, then you would never do it. So if you want to make a change, you need to believe that you can change. The second factor is what we call the tiny factor. When you learn to drive, you accept that it's going to take six plus months. You're going to have to spend over 65 hours in driving lessons. 
And in your first lesson, you're probably not even going to drive anywhere. You're just going to work out where everything is in the vehicle. Yet when you're trying to lose weight or get better at managing stress, if you haven't done it after the first week, you give up and you beat yourself up and you tell yourself you'll never be able to do it. So we have to recognize that we can make changes, but it's one tiny change at a time. If you learn to drive, doing it was connected to your bigger goals. So I had to get the kids to school. I had to get to work. I wanted to be the first person in my peer group to do it. So we've got to connect this small change we want to make, this small new habit to our to bigger, meaningful goals. You may have had all the motivation in the world to want to learn how to drive, but without knowledge and skills, you wouldn't be able to do it. And that's why you have driving lessons. And you can connect that to community knowledge and skills. It's really helpful if you're learning to drive, if your parents know how to do it, because they can give you tips and advice and support and take you for a free driving lesson at the weekend. And then we also have to recognize the role of social influence. So if you're learning to drive and your father doesn't think the speed limit is a valid idea, then that's not going to be a great role model for you. If your mother doesn't believe in car insurance, it's the same. So we're influenced by people around us, important people. We've got to recognize the reward and penalty systems that are driving our behavior. So if you drive well, you get your license, your car insurance goes down, you retain your license. If you drive poorly, you might not get your license. If you do, you get speeding points and monetary fines, and eventually you lose your license. So we've got to recognize when we're trying to make change, what are the reward systems, what are the penalty systems? When we're driving, we are continually getting triggered as to what to do because governments recognize that most of driving behavior is automatic. It's a habit, right? Because everything we're doing is a habit. So from getting in the car, if you don't put your seatbelt on, there's a ping, ping, ping. There's a speedometer in the car reminding you how fast you're driving. There is a line in the middle of the road reminding you which side to drive on. There are police cars, speed cameras, traffic lights, zebra crossings. And then the final factor, which we call brain states, is if you try to learn to drive when you're sleep deprived, you're not going to do it very effectively. It's going to take you much longer to do it than if you learn to do it when you've got lots of brain charge. So learning how to build and change behavior is very complex. And, but the habit mechanic approach completely demystifies it. And that's what we've been working on for 20 plus years. And you can take exactly the same science to actually help your people, make it easier for your people to build new habits, you know, in the hybrid workplace, for example, which is a huge topical thing right now. And you, you could take the, the same driving example there, at a cultural organizational level in, and think if you want to help your people to be happier in the workplace, it's a three-step approach. First of all, you've got to teach them how to drive. You won't do that with a workshop or a webinar over a long period of time. You've got to use them out, teach them how to use the vehicle. We call that developing habit mechanic intelligence. Second step is you've got to pack your organization with driving instructors. Some are like parents. They're just going to give tips and advice and support, but some are formal driving instructors. We call that developing team power intelligence. And then thirdly, the senior leaders have to rewrite the highway code make it as easy as possible for your people to drive safely and to be on their A game. So we can use this science, which is highly complex in a real simple, practical way. And that's what we teach people to do. I don't know if I went off on a tangent there, David, I got quite no, excited. No, no, this, this was beautiful. This makes, makes so much sense in, in private life and also in business. I thought about how we implement things in the business, like, you know, changes in even SOPs, you know, or like, hey, we want to do this other thing. And, 
often get frustrated because it just doesn't click and you know i show them three times why doesn't it magically happen exactly <laughs> because they're running on habits and some of the habits we're asking them to change are very complex so that's a lot of the work that i do as i work with senior leaders to help them to unblock those things but using a scientific approach and that's the beauty of the habit mechanic approach is that it takes all that beautiful science all those fantastic scientists have been working on and it shows you how to make it work for you in your life and the, the data we have on the impact of this is is phenomenal for, for wherever you are in your life another thing you said is like it's lots of small things that you learn you know it's not just like one thing that you change and then for the boom I'm, I'm happy or something changes my brother was depressed for a very very long time clinically depressed like very extreme and i you know, I always did my best to to help him to coach him through these things. And the thing that made the biggest impact was that him and I realized that he was always looking for like the magic button. I just do this thing and then everything is good. I realized it's lots of small buttons that you want to press until you improve this. And after we found this, he made like he, he's he's really thriving now. So I'm very happy that. Uh, and that's the I would say it's a knowledge and a skills blocker. Because your brother didn't, he had a, maybe a misunderstanding of what happiness, what he was trying to achieve. And only by engaging in that personal research, we think that that mechanic approach speeds that up because it takes all that fantastic science about actually what you're designed to do and actually what we're capable of doing and gives it to you in a tried and tested formula. So knowledge and skills about what we'd like to do differently what we'd like other people to do differently, I often find is the biggest barrier. So we want our people to be more productive, to spend more time doing clever work. And everyone agrees that's a great idea and we're all going to want to do that. But we don't know how to manage the attention economy and all the tech that we've got to deal with every day. We don't have a way of, of managing that for ourselves. And for someone like you, David, I'm sure you found that not necessarily easy, but you got to that place maybe much faster than other people would have done, maybe without formal knowledge and skills or maybe you went to get you went out and you learned it yourself but most people don't know this stuff so we have to give them the knowledge and the skills in a way that community can discuss and, and all support and help each other so we go back to the nine action facts and say right what are the blockers well actually yeah they don't have the knowledge and the skills to, to be able to build strategy or the reward and penalty system yeah well actually it's just reinforcing what we're seeing and this is this is the thing whatever the highway code is in your organization it's driving the outcomes you're seeing. It's just that it's invisible. So you're not aware of these behavioral factors that are actually driving the behavior of, of people. And it's the same in your own life. So all these factors are always on, but whatever result you're getting means that driving your behavior in the wrong direction. And if you don't even know what these factors are that are driving your behavior, how the heck are you supposed to manage them? So again, it's back to a knowledge and skills problem about, well, how do habits work? What's driving my behavior? And I could go read several different books on that. But what I found is that, is, like you said, none of them give you the complete answer. And that's why, again, the habit mechanic is different because it gives you that. It is a manual for life. It isn't a book you read once. It's something you keep coming back to again and again. That's, that's beautiful. Yold, how do you, I, I guess people can read the book, but with, with tougher minds, do you also work with individuals or do you focus only on, on businesses and implementers there? And if you work with individuals, what's your process when somebody works with a coach or in groups or however, what, what, what do you offer? Yeah. So 
we work with businesses through to individuals, you know, from, we have programs for young people to professionals, to parents, whoever. For us, it's always the same. It's helping people to do more intelligent self-watching, to learn more about themselves by using our tools to think about themselves in an intelligent way. And then it's guiding the person through to start to target just one habit, one set of behaviors they want to work on, and then helping them to use behavioral science to create a plan, tell them to start making a tiny change. And then you go back into the, the cycle again. And we have over 30 different tools that we use to help people to do that. I have mechanic tools and our chief have mechanic tools. They're all in the book. And I've, everything I know about this is in the book. The book isn't a sell through. It's literally everything I know about helping people to do better. And it's just this continual cycle of self-watching. So we, you talk about swap, you self-watch, you make a name, you make a plan and you go back again. That's our simplest change cycle. And if somebody want, wants to work with you as a coach or do you have coaches on, on your team or uh, you have certified people who teach habit mechanic methodology, you know, if somebody, you know, wants to not only read the book, because I would imagine happiness, we, we do this because we believe personal development is best done in, in teams or with other people because, you know, positive peer pressure is a beautiful thing and le peer learning is also a beautiful thing. So do you offer something along these lines where somebody works with a coach or with a group? And if so, how can people get access to this? Yes, just go to our website here. Yeah, we have the Have Mechanic certificate and we're going to start to, so we, when we're working with businesses, we run team power programs, exactly as you're saying, where the team works together for over about three months and they're all hope, well, part of the beauty of that is they're holding each other accountable and they're learning together. And when we launch our, we're just going to launch our new Habit Mechanic University app, we'll be opening up programs like that but for the general public if you like where you can join a group of people and be held accountable so yeah what we've spent most of our time on is getting the training right so that you can use it and it can help you and increasingly we are growing our team etc growing our ability to service people on that one-to-one -one basis because yeah the power of the consultant is You know, one brain to one brain is always going to be the most powerful way of helping someone. But yeah, we're really excited about the Having Mechanic University. Um, we've been working on that for a long time. So people can find this at thehabitmechanic.co.uk? So if you go to tougherminds.co.uk, oh, tougherminds.co.uk, yes. Get in touch and find out about everything that we do. Beautiful. And... And the book, I assume you can find on Amazon. Do you also have the audiobook version or is it just the, the physical book? The audiobook version is coming soon, but at the minute, yeah, we've got the ebook and the physical book and it's available in all major retailers, Perfect. including Amazon. And if people want to connect with you, where can people find you? Yeah, on LinkedIn. I do, um, do a lot of on LinkedIn, Dr. John Finn. Happy to connect on there. Go to our website, contact us there, or if you want to, you can send me a personal email at John Finn, which is J-O-N-F-I-N-N at tougherminds.co.uk. Awesome, John. Thank you very much for doing what you're doing. I think it's it's really awesome and I'm looking forward to getting the audible version because I, for some reason, I learn way better listening to books. And thank you for being on the show and sharing all this knowledge. Really appreciate you. Thank you very much. No, thank you for having me, David. Really appreciate it.